I'm talking to the referee as I'm walking back. He says, that wasn't a foul. And he, he wouldn't talk to me. He said, I'm just trying to talk to you normally. He went, what the F makes you think I want to talk to you? Get away from me before I give you a slap in the head. The referee said to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Ireland, Keith. You are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill. Hello, I'm Eric Lawler. You're very welcome to episode 23 of House of Football with Sports Joe and William Hill. And delighted to have guests in the studio, Alan Cawley and Keith Tracy. Lads, very welcome to the podcast. We have so much to talk about. The Premier League was on this weekend. Loads happened. We're going to start uh, probably the biggest game of the weekend or probably the most controversial game of the weekend, the game of St. James's Park. And as much as I hate, I hate to say it, an incredible win by Liverpool uh, when Van Dijk got sent off and they were on the ropes and and Trent was another little misdemeanour away from being sent off, I was thinking, this is going to be 3 4 5 nil. And, I mean, it's full credit to Klopp and his players for hanging in there, keeping it one goal, and, and Nunes comes on and delivers the goods. Uh, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, like that, Eric, I thought it was a fantastic game, and it's not the first time we've seen an unbelievable Premier League game with these two clubs. Uh, probably wasn't as good as the 4-3 crackers back in the day, but it certainly was a great game. And as you say, from watching the match, after 60, 65 minutes, if someone had to say to me, Liverpool are going to win this, I probably would have laughed, really, because Newcastle were in total control, total domination. They had the man advantage, even though they weren't playing as well as maybe they were in the early part of the game when it was 11 v 11, but I still thought they'd go on and win the game. Uh, but it's it was funny watching it. The longer the game was going on, you always sensed something might happen here, because as you say, they were hanging in Liverpool. I thought the substitutions were really good. Um and that's what they possess Liverpool is the quality in the attacking areas I have serious concerns about them defensively and I think that's what's going to maybe catch them out in terms of maybe challenging City or Arsenal for a, for a title because we'll get into the incidents now I'm sure Trent should have been sent off I thought um, and this is an issue I have Eric with the whole new rules kind of thing because they're focusing heavily on we are going to get, we are going to get into that uh, yeah. we are going to, there is a, we're going to get into a, a section about refereeing this season mm. and, and that's a, a bigger discussion we're going to have in, in, in the uh, in a few minutes, but um, I suppose Keith Al alluded to it there. The big decision, I suppose, was the the red card for Van Dijk. What was your initial impression of that? Did you think it was a red card? Yeah, it's a, for me, it's a definite red card. I think he's the wrong side. If you're on the wrong side, you can't tackle, and he makes he swept that through him, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he goes through the player. You know, if that's anywhere outside the box, we're all saying it's a hundred percent the free kick. Just because it's in the box or on the edge of the box, your thinking doesn't change. But it's just the rashness of Van Dijk to make that challenge. You know, he doesn't have to. If I hadn't you're just helpless in that situation. You let him score and you, you regroup from there or you hope to keep or digs you out. But for Alexander-Arnold, like Klopp must have said, 80,000 Geordies, keep it tight, give nothing silly and within two minutes he's throwing the ball away and got a yellow card and he's up against Anthony Gordon. Yeah. And you're thinking, you can't do that. Then he miscontrols the ball. Or sorry, he should have been sent off then for the, another silly tackle. He gets into a race and drags Anthony Gordon down. You're thinking... You can't do these silly little things, miscontrol a ball, give away give away a goal, should be sent off in the first 10 minutes and then in the next breath be called one of the best right-backs in the league. For me, he's not one of the best right-backs in the league because as a right-back you have to defend mm. and he cannot do that. He just cannot do that. He might be a brilliant wing-back, he might be a great winger, a great centre midfielder as, as Liverpool are trying to push him into but for me, you can't put him into that bracket of one of the best right-backs because I, he can't defend. I think it's got to the stage with him and I've mentioned it a few times, Eric, he's a liability at right full so as Keith says play him in midfield play him further up the pitch that he doesn't have to defend because the biggest problem I have with him and I've said it numerous times it's not that um, he can't defend he doesn't want to defend he has no interest in it right. he doesn't want to be there defending that's not his thing I think Klopp and I thought he would have made this decision by now in the sense that not playing him there because he is a major problem um, and you see that I know that's a mistake it goes under his foot but we've seen so many errors from if you think of the header from the save that Alisson made from Almiron 
he heads it straight down to Almiron in the in the eighteen yard box, and he gets the shot off. So that's one. The Van Dyke one as well with me. He's a problem because, as Keith said, if you think of Van Dyke before the injury. He would have let Isaac take the ball and beat him in a race. But I suppose Keith, he was intimidated by uh, Isaac's pace. Um, Van Dijk has probably dropped a yard or two since the injury. Yeah, pace possibly, was. but it's the pass. The pass through to Isaac, it's brilliant. It's on the right side of him. They've taught about that pass, so it just takes Van Dijk out of it. And as, as a defender, there's times where you say, I just can't get there. He's on the wrong side of me. So you're, you're hoping and praying that maybe Alisson can make a save. The last thing you do is sweep through him and... The, the referee is always going to give a penalty there. Like I say, there's 80,000 Georgies roaring. I would have been very, very surprised. And when, when the penalty was given and the red card was given, I don't think anybody thought VAR will overturn this. I think we were all on the same page with that one. But it was just the rashness of, uh, of Van Dijk. And I've heard Gary Neville say in, uh, after the Sky Games, this Liverpool back four, we can sort of name it. You know, you know, if there's no injuries, we can name the back four. But they don't play as a unit. They look like... You know, it's they look like strangers. Team. Yeah, they look yeah, all yeah. over the place. They really do. And... The, the thing with Alexander-Arnold he miscontrols that ball but where he is when he miscontrols that is the middle of the pitch if he does that in a right back situation maybe the centre-halves can come over and defend from there he does it in the middle of the pitch and they're right down the back of it, right down the throat and score the goal so Is he in decline Van Dijk? Uh, possibly I don't think he's the same player he was since the injury I have to be honest uh, even when he came out I think his mentality is a little bit different I remember uh, France hammered the Netherlands and he came out and uh, a couple of the, the Dutch legends were, were having a pop oh, yeah. him and he came out and he said uh, well I am tired I'm not a robot and I, I just thought these days are red flags you know if yeah. you want to pull Klopp or you want to pull the, the national manager say listen I'm tired I need mm. a break no problem don't be coming out firing into the media as you know, an excuse yeah for me then it's just going to be used and they can't. They don't. Liverpool don't have the luxury to take Van Dijk out and throw somebody else in. He's a rock for them. But yeah, well, the, the alarm bell for me was that one on Sunday because, as I said, and Jamie Carragher's argument I thought was ridiculous. Shea Given was making total sense in what he was saying because Isaac, as a centre forward, is trying to let let it run across his body and it's, he's in on goal. Carragher yeah. was trying to say, "How could how's it a goal scoring opportunity?" He was, he was in on goal once he <laughs> let it run across. I think his he body. had his Liverpool eyes on there. And yeah, the, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the panic station, as I said, with, with Van Dijk. It's panic now with him. He used to be in total control of them situations, knowing I can outrun whatever centre forward is because the power he has. He's kicking through fellas now because he knows if I let it run by him, he's getting away from me and he's in, in on goal. And that's uh, that's a red flag, as Keith said, in terms of the panic that sets in with him now. So um, as much as Liverpool were great in the attacking areas and going forward and scoring, and I think they'll score bucket loads of goals, even the lads coming off the bench, there's, there's, there's major worries in that defensive area. And obviously now Van Dijk will have a three-match ban. Um, Kanati's injured. So it looks like it's Matip and Gomez, which is, yeah, you know, like if you're an opposition going up against that, you're going to fancy it, aren't you? Yeah, with a fullback who doesn't want to defend on one side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you have the ball in torn over, he'll be in the centre midfield position. Yeah. So, yeah. Did, 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 did Eddie Howe get his tactics wrong? Should Eddie Howe have um, pushed on to get more goals, second goal, third goal? It looked like they were quite content at 1 0, didn't they? Yeah, and I, and that's the problem, Eric, is because if we think of Eddie Howe under uh, Newcastle's Eddie Howe in the last 18 months, we were comparing them to Klopp's Liverpool in terms of that running power and that aggression and the intensity to play at. It was almost as if they didn't know what to do when they had the man advantage. So, that stopped all that mad intensity, that mad running because the thought winning we, the ball back yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have the ball now, yeah. kind of thing. So they managed it so badly. I felt because, as I said, the longer the game went on, you always felt there was something coming for Liverpool. So I think Andros Townsend was saying he'll take the positives out. There's no positives to take for Newcastle if you're playing against one of your main rivals. You're in total control. You're one nil up. You're missing chance after chance. There's no positives to take from that. That was a major um, kind of 
blow up really from Newcastle in terms of winning the three points. Even for you, when I, when I was playing for Burnley under Eddie Howe, we were doing an eleven v eleven, and I was in the second eleven, so it was the starting eleven against another eleven. And I've got the ball in in the number ten position, and I've gone past Andre Bigay to centre half, and he's clicked me heels. I've gone down, and Eddie Howe sent me off in training. He said, "Get in, I'm not having people diving." The centre half Bigay comes now, gaffer, gaffer. I did. I clicked his heels. He said, "No, no, I want to play against ten men. I want to show okay. our lads how to break oh, down okay. ten lads." I thought it was a pair. I took a pair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just sending me off. You don't like me, yeah. but he did. He does actually work on playing against ten men. If they go down to ten men, how do we break it down? If we go down to ten men, what are we going to do? So these are little things that Eddie Howe does work on. Believe mm. it or not, or he did at Burnley. So I would assume he's doing the same at Newcastle. So he. Th- Knowing Eddie Howe, there's no way a half time, any time in that game, did he tell his Newcastle players to take it, take a step off, like don't go for the juggler. Right, he right, would have right. been all about go for the juggler, go for the juggler. But being in teams when players do get sent off, it's backs against the wall. You know what you're doing. All you're all you're thinking about is don't let these score, and it becomes very very simple. Then when Nunes comes on, you're thinking don't let them score. When we win it, clip it into that channel and see where we're going. It was see, the killer was the second. Once mm. they get the second, it's game over. Almiron had a great chance. Not the one where the save was amazing, but the one in the second half that came across his body should oh, have scored. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the one with Harvey Barnes is true. He has to play the ball oh, across yeah. to Wilson. Like, that was desperate. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of Harvey Barnes, but that was shocking. And the longer it goes on, we always hear the phrase, when it's only 1-0, you're always in the game with the players Liverpool possess. I just felt they managed it badly, Newcastle. And, it, and it's one to look back on and think... If that happens again, we'll know exactly what we should be doing. So, Keith, uh, you worked under Eddie Howe at Burnley and um, you said, like, so he did practice for scenarios like this. So you, you would be in total agreement that there's no way Newcastle wouldn't have prepared for an eventuality like this. It was probably just down to the poor execution of the players and doing their jobs and whatever. I thought Bruno Gamares, who's been sensational for mm. Newcastle since he signed, I thought that was the worst game he's played for Newcastle. He had the ball away. He was awful. Mm. Like, really poor. And Tonali showed him up tonight. He was brilliant. Um, really, really, really rate him now. Um, Eddie Howe? Yeah, look, I, I, I'd be with you. I don't think Gamarez was uh, as good as he could have been. Tenali is, is stealing the show. I mean, he's really coming to the forefront of that midfield. But I just think when, when you're Liverpool and a player gets sent off, I think it, it just becomes simpler in your mind. So you're not thinking about, are we going to try and throw a couple of counter punches? Are we going to try and dominate the ball? In your head, you're thinking, we're going to suffer. Let's see what we can do. Just fo- suffer physically and see what happens when we get to, down the home straight. As it was, they were a little bit lucky here and there, but I think Eddie Howe and, and, and the Geordies will be absolutely... The three subs are big as well. Like you're bringing on Harvey Elliott, brilliant with the ball. Uh, Jota was getting them up the pitch, a tread in behind. Nunes then is a handful. You'd like to think he'll kick on from here now with the finishes were unbelievable. Mm. And take nothing away, if whatever, whatever with the second one, I always think he should score. The first one's an unbelievable finish. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, I completely... Uh, no, no, it's it's not what we've seen from Nunes so far since he's joined. But Liverpool. if you if you look at his stats, Eric, I was only looking at them there after the game or on Monday. Was it he? Um, he has seventeen goals and twenty six starts. That's not bad. Like no, that's all right, I know people it? now are looking at Haaland a goal again, yeah. but seventeen goals and twenty six is not bad yeah. coming over. It's just he almost looks like it's because of the chances he misses. Yeah, it's like four or five chances to get a goal, whereas the deadly ones, I suppose score with two or three chances or even and one you chance you look at Haaland missed a whole host, yeah. host of chances at the weekend but you just knew he will hit the back mm. of the net at some point with Nunes if he misses one misses two the question mark stays in your head is he going to hit the back yeah. of the net well Haaland it's just an you eventuality know. he will hit the net um, and obviously there's a cloud hanging over Liverpool at the moment because you know even though Klopp is insisting it's not going to happen the Saudis are still there trying to push in the Salah deal what do you think is going to happen there? 
Yeah, it's a funny one because he was adamant it won't happen. And then listen to even Carragher, who you think would be in the North era. But if they come in with a daft bid, like it's up at 150, 160 million, we saw what they did with Coutinho and it was spent very well. That that model at Liverpool is not kind of spending silly money. Then if they see silly money coming in, it might actually kind of make them think a little bit. And that's what I'm saying. If it's daft money like that, I would like to think Salah would stay. I'd love to think in his head, he he strikes me as one of these fellas who wants to be playing in the Premier League, the best league, score the goals, break records, that elite level. He has loads of time to be going to Saudi Arabia or wherever else he wants to go. I hope, from a personal point of view, he stays. Yeah. But at that kind of money, Eric, like your head might be turned for 150, 160 million. Would you agree with that, Keith? Yeah, yeah could Just lighten the window. Yeah, well, I think Liverpool as a club would be desperate for him not to leave, but... One of, me, one of my Liverpool uh, friends said, you know, the worst thing that could happen is the Salah leaves for us. And I thought, no, the worst thing that could happen is that you sell him Friday morning and you just can't sell, the, you can't uh, recoup, you can't get any more players in. And if it's going to happen, it needs to happen pretty sharply so they can get some replacements in. But There's you know, talk of Joe Felix being brought in as as as, Felix is good, but I don't think he's as clinical or scores as many goals. Like no. It's like the Harry Kane argument. How do you fill the void? You can't. You won't mm. fill that for you. Mm. What they did brilliant with the Coutinho money, they bought Alisson and Van Dijk, two yeah. unbelievable players. Yeah. So if they Completely were able to them. get silly money and get two or three really good fellas in, mm. that might kind of, that would massively help. But I don't think you can replace Salah. Like, it's impossible. No. On the, uh, the Liverpool-Newcastle game, obviously the, the big incident was the red card. Another uh, And Newcastle didn't take advantage of the red card. Another team who didn't take advantage of a red card was Arsenal. Arsenal were 2-1 up. And Fulham then went down to 10 men. And still got a draw, mm. and there's rumblings, and you know the Arsenal f- t- uh, fan TV account is hilarious. Like, cause they're, they're, Are they going mad already? They're just, they're just mental. They're just, ah, what is, what is he doing? He's trying to be pep, you know. Why is he playing party right full? You know, it's and uh, what, is, what did we buy habits for? All of this kind of stuff, like you know, they love it. Um, your impressions of what's happening at Arsenal at the moment, Keith? Is it just? It's still too early, though, isn't it? To make it's any too early. Judgments? Yeah, we're all. It's only what we three games in. People are jostling for position, but. The one thing is, I think, with the Arsenal fans, with the Champions League, I, I think we all know there's still a bit of a gulf between everybody in Manchester City. Yeah. People are saying Arsenal will maybe be there, but with the Champions League, I see that as taking us away from Manchester City even more in terms of our strength, uh, uh, squad depth. So, look, at the Palace one, I thought we, we when Tommy Asu got sent off and Palace were turning the screw, I was thinking, this is the game Arsenal will draw or lose here. And we ended up winning it. So I was thinking, right, all of a sudden I started getting a bit of hope. Then we went one nil. You an down. Arsenal fan, Keith? I'm an Arsenal fan. Yeah, okay, I heard we I, there. I didn't. It's, really it's, it's <laughs> the hope that this is what I'm telling it's you. It's the, the hope first that time you've us. let it out of the bag. I didn't know you were an Arsenal fan. Oh, I had hey. my Arsenal jersey on last season when I thought we were going to do it, but that's why he's going for Pats because they look like Arsenal. Red I, did, I never knew that. Arsenal never fan. knew. I that. tried to keep it quiet. Yeah, <laughs> I can't say the bag now. <laughs> look, I think we need to keep an air of realism. I think there's there's a gap between everybody else and City. I think the Champions League is brilliant for us, but. It's the, like I said I thought we were really solid against Crystal Palace we looked to have that bit of backbone that I, I wanted Declan Rice to bring us and against Fulham we went 1-0 down really silly pass from Saka 1-0 down you're thinking right let's show a bit of backbone again we've done it 2-1 they go down to 10 men you're thinking game over and then Palinia does that from a, from a corner kick it's, it's the basics of the game sometimes we talk about playing between the lines the sexy attractive football if you can't defend for set pieces you're going to be struggling in the league and Arsenal just need to be a little bit better but again I expect us to finish second toward maybe in the league. Maybe even fourth wouldn't be disastrous given we have the Champions League. So, yeah, I just think there needs to be an air of realism here. 
Yeah, and a little bit of time for players like Havertz to settle into the the, the new the new team and all that. Yeah, look, I, I I like Havertz. That's the one the one thing that gives me hope is our bench. I think our bench is an awful lot better. It's an awful lot stronger. Jesus was on the bench. Trossard was unused last week against uh, Crystal Palace and Ketia. Uh, Gabriel is on the bench. Zinchenko's on the bench coming back as well. So we look like we have a really good squad while letting Tierney go we don't seem surprised like at that actually yeah look he's a good player and I like yeah. obviously I loved him at Celtic when he does play for Arsenal he, he never you know didn't do well he always done, yeah, yeah. done well but I think sometimes with, with lads you owe it to them to let them go out right. and play I think Tierney wants to play he's a big part of what Scotland do as well so I don't think he, he's happy just sitting on the bench and coming in every now and then and having I'm an Arsenal player next to his name I don't think he likes that I think he wants to play so if that's what he's going to get over in Spain then, then so be it but I don't think anybody in Arsenal is saying thank God he's gone out of the building because he was a brilliant professional and, and always played well for Arsenal but our squad is getting stronger all the time and that's why we're letting the likes of Balogun and, and Tierney go out the door yeah um, Arsenal just to, well I, I tipped them as you said at the start purely because I just kind of want to race but I do think they're, they'll be in the mix I think out of all the teams we've seen so far what is it the third week we're into it now I still think they'll be the closest I still think they're the best of the rest um, still some question marks as we outlined with Liverpool Chelsea under Pochettino big job United serious question marks so I think with we'll the other, them. I think with the other clubs I think Arsenal are the best of the rest but that was a sloppy one at the weekend like mm-hmm. the two goals they gave away and whatever about Saka's pass which was obviously a really sloppy pass um, but the goalkeeper Ramsdale because if you look at Pereira he's looking to dink it over him into the yeah. far corner and, he kind of mishits, and it. mishits it and it ends up and Ramsdale is kind of twisting and turning yeah. and, um, so that was a bit of a disaster then the goal is Keats said if you watch it back Paulina no one's picking up he just waltzes in unmarked little tapping into the corner um, and as Keats is from set pieces that's the, your bread and butter really when you're defending a 2-1 lead uh, in situations like that you can't because you know the opposition the likes of teams that you're better than and that you're outplaying, you know they're just waiting for a set piece or a corner. Or you look at Sheffield United at the weekend; it's almost a ball yeah. goes out and it's a long throw, and the crowd and the, the whole stadium yeah, is yeah, buzzing. Yeah. That's off. That's yeah. what they're living off. Yeah. So they're the moments when you have to even think we need to be even more kind of tuned in here. And there's always that little bit of sloppiness you find that I thought Arteta weeded out. To be fair, yeah. that kind of soft underbelly, mm-hmm. but that was a really kind of sloppy performance to lose, to drop two points. I want to talk. Uh, we, I, I, I kind of interrupted earlier on, Al, and it's the reason. This is the reason now. We're talking about referees mm. and VAR and red cards. There's been nine red cards in the Premier League uh, so far this season and there was 30 for the entire of last season mm. and already there's nine red cards. At, at the current rate, there'll be over 100 red cards issued this season. Like, like what's going on? Nuts. Well, my ish, the ones with, I suppose, the ones at the weekend, if we, if we focus on them, Trent for me, right? So the incident that happened, he should have got a free kick Gordon bushes him yeah. at the back. Then he's sitting down, he's annoyed, and he throws the ball, right? And we know nowadays he can't throw the ball away. But the problem with that is there's such an emphasis and focus on these little things, like throwing the ball away, the descent, and this time-wasting, because that's what yeah. Bassey got, the first yellow card, the Fulham lad, that it's taken away from the big decisions. So the one two minutes later with Arnold, where he drags mm. Gordon back, then the ref's not brave enough thinking, I'm after giving him one a yellow there. If I send this fell off after four minutes, there's going to be murder. So he's not brave enough then. So I think their eye has been taken off the ball a little bit with all these new directives. And it's nearly too much for them. Their head's in a muddle at the moment. I think the Van Dyke when he gets right, fair enough. That's just like that's his decision. It's a red card. Then you get on to the ones with United and Forest. I didn't think that was a red card and I think it's a problem then with VAR. Whatever about Stuart Atwell on the field, surely the VAR will look at that and say, Bowley's going to get the ball. Like, your Fernandez never getting on the end of that. Bowley's going to mop it up. Then the penalty for Rashford. 
Never a penalty in my eyes. Never in a million years is that a penalty. And whatever again about the referee on the pitch getting it, getting it right or wrong. V orders five of them in the box looking at it. How can they not tell that there's no contact? Minimal if even. Not enough to take them out. So they're the problems I have at the moment. And people will question the VR and all and the implementation. The only thing I always said about VR when it's definite and definitive like the offsides and the draw the lines and you can see it or goal line technology and you can draw the lines I'm all for that that's fine it's the ones that are subjective so if you're going from a referee on the pitch who gives a decision and we all have a different decision and then I'm at home saying that's never a penalty and then it goes up to the fella in the box and he's saying oh it is it it's all human error still anything that's subjective I wouldn't have at all because it's still some fella's opinion so that's my issues with far. I would keep it just to definitive things. And if it means that the ref is going to give a penalty, he'll get some right, he'll get some wrong for those subjective ones. I'd live with that. I don't, Keith, I don't know if you saw um, Mike Dean's comments uh, the last couple of days yeah. about not wanting to get his me. <laughs> They have Taylor helped. that hasn't helped into uh, into into trouble over the decision. That doesn't help things at all, does it? That no, puts more doubt in people's minds. And that's shocking. Like if you have a, a, a group of referees going, they stay in a hotel on a Friday night, have a few drinks, and then the Saturday you're thinking he's made a wrong decision there. But I don't want to throw him under the bus. It's that's shocking. You know, you, you need to be. You know, we're all mates here. But if you did something wrong, I'd say it to you. Yeah. you know, it's just the way it has to be. It's supposed to be professional and. Yeah, them comments didn't help. He's starting to retract on them now and say, "Oh, we're not, we're not great mates. We're only, we're only mates every now and then." And this, <laughs> we, and that. we actually fell out. <laughs> yeah, it's silly, but like I, I look at the, the Rashford one on the weekend, the penalty. I look at that and I think a referee would give that, but an ex, an ex player wouldn't give that, right? Because like as a winger myself, I know you knock the ball past somebody, you can swing that leg out as you're running, and any sort of little contact down I go, especially it's, at the pace he's going. Yeah, but it's not enough to bring you down. Yeah. Believe okay, me, it right. isn't anywhere near enough to bring you down. If Rafferty wants to stay on his feet, he stays on his feet. He flicks that leg out, initiates the tiniest bit of contact, and then the VAR say does contact. Right. That's and not fun, a And funny enough, and I, I would have no criticism of Rashford because every dressing room in the world and every manager, and Keith will tell you this, the manager will be telling you go down. See if he doesn't go down and they go into the dressing room as two all and they're saying, why didn't you go down? Yeah. Everyone, that, that that's the culture sadly. But I still think the referee should be big enough to realise that and see it. That, yeah, that's, I, I think if you, if you slow it down, there's a little bit of contact, but you look at the, the player goes, it looks like he's about to... Uh, go for a, a tackle, but then he pulls out of it and Rashford is initiate, initiates the contract himself. So we look at the defender and think, what more can he do there? Right. Nothing. He's put the brakes on, yeah. he's stopped and Rashford's flicked him and I just thought... But you're going from a referee on the pitch up to a referee in the box. Mm. So the, the fellas in the box then need to have a bit more cop on in, in situations like that. Well, th- well, that one, like the problem I have with, with that, they never even looked at it, Eric. Right. They never looked at it. Yeah. Stuart Atwell gave it. Whatever's going on in his ear, and yeah, it's grand, don't we won't, don't, you don't even need to look at this. And they carried on. How that wasn't looked at yeah, is yeah. beyond me. Like that's, that's, so the inconsistency of some of them that are looked at, and then that one wasn't looked at. So that, well, like see, if I was, think you're, you're messing with the referee's head. See, see if VAR have a look at it and think maybe that's a bit soft. Why don't you go and have a look at it on field? Then it's in the ref's head that these think I'm wrong. I need to overturn it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have sent me here. Yeah. So it's just a mind game all the time. You can't actually tell the ref. Well, that, well, that, is, that is the problem always when... Because when they send them to the monitor, you know what's oh, coming. Yeah, so that's it. So if that's the case... Um, but I would much prefer that if they're going to get the decision. Get the decision. Because that was wrong at the weekend. And United were lucky against the one, the Wolves as well. That was a penalty as well. Oh, so if I'm yeah. Steve Cooper and I'm the man, Gary O'Neill, the manager of Wolves, like you'd be absolutely fuming. At, yeah. Now, Forrest, we'll probably get into the football side of things where a shambles themselves when they went 2-0 up and defensively. But on those two incidents, they'd send an off 
and the penalty I thought they were hard done by. The, when your time in England, uh, Keith. Um, what was your under, uh, impression of referees over there? And was there like was there referees you could talk to, and was there referees that were arrogant, wouldn't have a war with you? Or uh, yeah, to, to, to be honest, the vast majority of referees were were didn't want to know you. Would just say like, go away, don't. Okay, like, you don't wouldn't explain the decisions. Yeah. But there was a. Uh, Who's the who's the really good referee? Uh, Howard Webb. We we got him. Uh, He's the head of the whole thing. Yeah, now. He, he was still refereeing, and it was I think it was Preston against Burnley. You know, he was playing for Preston, and we're in the North tunnel. West Derby, Lancashire and, Derby. Yeah, <laughs> we got him there. He was a Premier League referee, yeah. but he refereed the game anyway. And I remember I, I got fouled anyway, and I'm I'm on the ground and I'm roaring at him, and he, he came over to me and he stood me up. He said, "Keep put your hands down." So I stopped waving my hands, and he said, "Stop wait, stop shouting at me." So I stopped shouting, and he said. Okay, maybe maybe it wasn't, or maybe it was a foul. I tell you what, the next 50 50, I'll give you away. How about that? And it just yeah. totally disarmed me. Yeah. Wow. No problem, thank you. And I ran off. But the, the referees that just sit there go, go away. I don't want to know. Go away, yeah. you think. And you it's just keep same, going it's and the going. Same in the league here, or the ones that talk, the Alan Kelly was yeah. always the best. Once that, you don't want them to explain every decision. But like that, if you're. Uh, but he said that to your man, Neil Doyle, you can talk to him. Yeah, Neil is sound. Yeah. Neil Doyle is sound. And on the pitch, and if he's saying to you, look, to be honest, Alan, I thought, like, he pushed you. You kind of go, well, fair enough, that's your yeah, thought. It's but, fair but, yeah, and you get on with that. It's the ones yeah. that are antagonising you and being like the kind of little Hitlers. Did you, he was a ref, did you? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. yeah that, that makes sense. That makes an awful lot of sense, yeah. <laughs> he was a ref for one game. My, uh, my I ref in over 35s. I told a story here. Okay, unbelievable. I'll be, I'll be joining you over 35 soon. I might come across it. <laughs> but my, my, one of my first games for Drotted when I came back here, I, I was playing against Pats and a foul happened. I, I think it was Robert Bailey gave away a foul and I'm talking to the referee as I'm walking back. I said, that wasn't a foul. And he wouldn't talk to me. I said, I'm just trying to talk to you normally. He went, what the F makes you think I want to talk to you? Get away with me before I give you a slap in the head. The referee said to me, yeah. and Robert Bailey put his arm around me and went, welcome back to Ireland, Keith. Just, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's bizarrely, that's the second mention Robert Bailey's had in the podcast wow. over the last couple of weeks because uh, Conan Bourne said Robert Bailey went over, when he was playing with Sport and Fingal, Robert Bailey went over to his bench and said, will you take him off? He's brutal. <laughs> and Conan Bourne could hear him. <laughs> Anyway, that's Robert Bailey done and dusted. Uh, yeah, we, 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 sorry, we spoke, we just touched on the Man United Forest game. Um, I didn't see the game. I was driving and I was listening to News Talk uh, and I heard, you know, the football show and they just, uh, games kicked off. Oh, we've a goal at Old Trafford, 1-0. I was like, oh, here we go. And they were talking about the demise of, you know, and the problems there. And there's another one. I was like, what? 2-0. Two two and then my son rings me on the phone. Dad, you know, I said, yeah, I know, I'm listening to it. <laughs> um, but just, in, I suppose, uh, Indicative of the chaos that's going on at Old Trafford at the moment. Um, uh, what your thoughts on that? The whole yeah, like I obviously coming off the back of, I suppose the previews we did. I didn't fancy them for the top four at all. I just don't think there's enough there. I don't see it. And now having seen them over the last two or three weeks, I don't fancy them <laughs> at all. Um, obviously they were well beaten by Wolves in terms of possession and chances and all that, and they got away with one there. But the Forest want to be two down. Uh, was absolutely horrendous the goals that, that they gave away like Wan-Bissaka's turning his back on the second one the setup for the corner if you look at it when it comes out to that lad Owen Annie it's Rashford and Anthony yeah. are the two that are at the back like once he breaks through obviously he's in one of them where's Anana he's supposed to be the keeper the sweeper keeper he's back stuck on his line so problem after problem then you can flip it over then and I, I've listened to a lot of United fans and social media oh the, we came with the character and the resilience and you can throw out all them words that's fair enough Eric but there's only one way you can go when you're two down is to come to come out and throw a bit of fight and, yeah. and try and get yourself back but if you look at Forrest's angle from being 2-0 up they were absolutely horrific in terms of their defending you have three of the worst 
well two of them in my opinion Serge Aurier is one of the worst fullbacks like we mentioned Trent earlier on Serge Aurier is one of the worst fullbacks in the league well Rashford had a field day didn't he horrendous Bolly the big lad at the back as well awful Joe Warrell gets sent off. Now, I thought that was harsh, but he was poor anyway in his defending. And they were just all over the place, Forrest. Like, so they didn't do much Forrest to help the fact that obviously they were tuning up to try and get the points. I thought they allowed United back. So yeah. in terms of United going forward, I don't see it. Would you Would you agree with Alan there, Keith, in the, in the fact that it's not, it wasn't so much that United were good, that Forrest were poor, and that United have real problems? Yeah, I, I would agree that United have real, real problems. Um, I think looking at what's happening with Harry Maguire, like... It, he seems to be a good lad, Harry Maguire. I, I, I played him at Sheffield United when he was really young. But you played him? I, I, yeah, oh, he was, at Sheffield United, he yeah, was yeah. a young lad coming yeah. through and he, he would play with Kyle Walker and uh, yeah, yeah. Kyle Norton as well. There was a couple of little heads in there. But yeah, Maguire, he, like, he, he was the captain last year. Now he's on the bench. He's only going to, he's surplus to the requirements. You can't have people like that in the dressing room. And look, I know he's not sitting there going, oh, 10 hags this and 10 hags that and this is the... But just somebody who comes in and knows they're not going to play, that's dragging people down the around them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I'd be honest with you, you would probably talk a little bit more about this being a United fan, but Bruno Fernandes as a captain for me, he, he, I love him. I think he's a great player. He he scored a, a penalty. He He's deep run uh, that gets world sent off, brilliantly timed run. But his demeanour, the way right. he throws his arms in the air, the way he dives every now and then, the way he gives out to referees, I think you need to have a little bit more about you to be a Manchester United captain. Whatever about being a, a bottom six captain, that's you know wherever that's boy to boy. But to be the captain of Manchester United, I think you have to have a little bit more about you in your demeanour. Wonderful player, I love him as a player, mm-hmm. but as a, as a motivator. I don't think he's there. I agree with every word of that. And I had a problem with him last year as the captain as well. And like that, football wise, brilliant, brilliant player. Um, one of the elite players really and, and I was even again social media everybody in terms of Bruno the captain because he obviously was getting a bit of stick the last couple of weeks Bruno came out he showed realism United posting pictures of him winning a tackle yesterday and all this kind of crack so Michael Richards get, had a go at him I think it was last week and of course he went on social media and replied back put up a video of an NBA star did you see that and it was in response and I'm thinking if you're a captain of Man United and one of the pundits is having a go at you you don't get dragged down to that level of having a go back at Michael Richards or one, whoever it is that's having a go you just do your talking on the pitch and as Keith says you have a bit more about you football wise no question marks but would you want him I suppose in the, it's alright against Forrest believe me Forrest are one of the worst Forrest will go down or they'll be close to going down would you see him doing that against Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City? He'd been on him in that game. That's, yeah, when you're in the trenches, like if Manchester City have eighty percent of the ball and they're two up, and you need players to keep running, keep going through them brick walls, and he's there throwing his arms around and his demeanour, just thinking. I I probably end up getting into a few variables with him. I don't think he he yeah. motivate me very well at all. I suppose just he had a go at Pelestri, the young fella last week as well. Did you see that when he came on? Oh yeah, yeah. And there was words over that. And I don't mind look fellas argue on the pitch or whatever. But as Keith said, it's lad, the whole yeah. it's the whole time. But to play devil's advocate, then lads, right? You're saying like uh, Bruno Fernandez is it's his demeanor, it's his antics, is is throwing his arms and giving out to his own players and all that. Like arguably Manchester United's best captain of all time, Roy Keane, was famous for that. So why yeah, is but the difference between Roy and Fernandez was Roy's standards were always there. He okay. was there, and Roy didn't dive. Roy didn't do all this. I know he got involved with referees. He got involved with his own players, but he was first and foremost. He looked after himself, and he won his battle, and then he spread it out over to the pitch. Bruno Fernandez can be losing his battle and still giving out the people around him, throwing his arms and why me? Why is this all happening? It just Roy was like doing workers, it. Roy, I felt was always doing it in a in a demands way that he was demanding from the rest of them. Bruno is doing it in a sulky kind of throwing yeah, the hand. I find. Yeah, Roy. it's not like you know. Whereas Roy was barking at them, but 
he was never asking any of the rest of them to do anything he wasn't doing. And they'd always be in a situation where they might be winning or 1-0, 2-0 up. And if you have to roll the sleeves up, obviously you. But I always felt they were always with him. I'd wonder, some of those players in that squad who were the weaker ones, they're probably looking at Bruno Fernandes and might not even like him, I would say, you know. What about that, Keith? A player in the team who is histrionic, throwing his arms up. Does that have an effect in the dressing room, do you think? It can do, yeah. It depends. You know, I would imagine when he talks, he talks in Portuguese and he, he doesn't speak in English. So even that is, if you're running around and he, he's talking in Portuguese... And it's only Casemiro understand understands him. It's only Casemiro. <laughs> There's only a couple of boys. But look, I, I just I just now think you need to have a bit more about you. Doesn't he, and, and supports him and he has yeah. him as the captain. So I suppose you have to look at that side of things. But uh, you look at us, OK, I know stats... No, they're very can, good. They can F- tell lies. Well, Football-wise, we've no problems with him. Right. Yeah. I was just, as, just as a captain. I wouldn't have him the captain. I wouldn't. Right. I if if it came down to me tomorrow and said who would you have as the United captain, I would probably go at this stage now. He hasn't had the best start. Martinez. No, no. I, I'd actually struggle for a captain at United. Casemiro. He Berlant? would probably be the only one that would stick out to me as. But he's had a really poor start as well. Yeah, I think Casemiro is just one of those players. Though I think he just needs four or five games to get going. It's a sad fact. It's just like even last season when he was suspended, it took him three, four, five games to get back up to speed again. And he was <laughs> well, suspended for about twelve games well, last that, season. If I think he played about four good games. If that's the case, right? Did Ten Hag not give him three or four games of preseason? Say, now we're ready to go no, and start. It only season. it only works when they're official <laughs> matches. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah. it's it's the energy and the legs around him. You look at that man, you like we're talking about obviously the the elite teams and and you've weaker teams bursting through that middle area of the pitch. Like Casemiro, again, being a phenomenal player as we know, playing at the the highest level for years and years, winning everything. But then you have Eriksson again, phenomenal on the ball, but defensively, yeah. you look at them players just Brennan Johnson, Gibbs why just running off him like, and you're kind of you just can't live with the energy of those kind of younger lads now, and it's gone so athletic the game that. The one that sticks out for me and Keith's on about Maguire, there, there's a lad who I actually, not as big as fan in terms of being an elite level Man United player, but I would certainly, and I always said this even when he was playing, that I would always have him in the squad and I'd always have him there or thereabouts because I think he he's he would be a brilliant squad player, like maybe like John O'Shea was over the years, is McTominay. Right. And he's been really hard done by, I think. His form with Scotland for the last, and Keith yeah, Dodds, yeah. has been phenomenal. Scored, scored goal, unbelievable, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, and any time he's asked to play for United, does a good job. He is ideal to sit beside Casemiro in terms of the energy and the legs and do all that running for him and be, you know, kind of yeah. give him that dig out. And then you could have Fernandez ahead of him. Now, it's obviously, it's obvious that the manager is clearly trying to get him out because even when um, the game, what was it the other day? That, yeah, Spurs. Yeah, and he yeah. could have brought him on. He yeah. could have played him. Even at the weekend, he still picks Eriksen. Now, I know he's probably thinking we're playing Forrest. We'll have 80% of the ball. I don't need McTominay. But... I think he's been a little bit hard done by because again going back to Keith's point about Maguire he strikes me as a great lad great professional he's in there trying every day decent player very good player maybe not Man City Arsenal Man United starting 11 level but I'd certainly have him in the squad and I think he's been really hard done by Keith would you agree with that McTominay? Yeah, look, I think he's probably a little bit limited in what he can do. I think when he plays for Scotland, they take the handbrake off. He can go and arrive late into the edge of the box. He does that for Scotland an awful lot more. With United, he is a little bit more conservative and tries to break the play up. But I do think he'd be perfect with Casemiro. But I'm hearing rumours of is a Hoiberg as forced to yeah. trying to get him in. Yeah. And you're thinking Casemiro and Hoiberg mount ahead of them mounted have all the legs. But you're, you're looking, it was Casemiro and Mount, then it was Casemiro and Eriksen. 
none of them lads want to defend. Casemiro no. will do a shift for you defensively. But he, but he needs somebody himself. around yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's like I'm not saying by any any stretch, and I've said this when he used to play with Fred, McTominay is not like the answer in terms of trying to no. co- overcome Arsenal and But he would help. I'm just talking about in those three games that we've seen so far. He's been hard done by the heat. Like it's there's a gaping hole in that central area against Wolves, against Forest, against Spurs, and you're looking, thinking, who could fill that? As Keith says, Mount doesn't want to. Eriksson doesn't have the legs to. McTominay surely for those games where you're feeling we're we're being a bit stretched here. Look at that that hole, as I say, that we're being exploited. Sit him in there alongside him. But in terms of the long term, no, I, I'm not saying that at all. Right, that's United and Bruno and all of that. Um, we move on to uh, your mate Sean Deutsch and Everton. Uh, their worst start. Since I don't know ever or since 1990 or something like that, and you're going, surely you can't be, surely they've had worse starts than that, but no, this is their worst start. And um, but what I will say in Everton's defence is that they've been competitive in each of those games. I mean, in that first game, no, in that first game against Fulham, they should have battered them. Like, see them straws over there. <laughs> <laughs> I like Sean Dyche, especially after what Keith told us the last time. I love Sean Dyche, but, but I have to say, we're struggling. It's the same old thing as last season, isn't it? Defensively, they've been poor. They've started off really poorly defensively. They've let an awful lot of goals in for a Sean Dyche team. But I think defensively, they will get better. They'll get an awful lot more solid. It's just I worry about the goals. I don't think Dan Jume is the answer. They're putting a awful lot into him. The 19-year-old Portuguese yeah, boy they've signed, signed as well. Ar- Ashley Young. Yeah. They're, they're really strong. And he, Ashley Young started. You know, yeah. I, I like Ashley Young. Brilliant Great servant role. over the year. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. But if you're a, a young right winger and Ashley Young standing ahead of you thinking... I'm just going to race against this fella all day. And you can only, like you said with Trent, you can only get the one yellow and then you're, you're really on eggshell. So brilliant to have him in, but they've they've an awful long list. I think a Wobie's injured, Calvert-Lewin is back injured. Uh, he's perennially like he's injured. That, that's, the bit, that's the big one for Calvert-Lewin, gone again. Um, mm. And I'd say they're so reliant on him. It was the yeah. same last year when he was missing. And I'd say Dyche was thinking, all right, we'll have him back this year and we can maybe build something around him. He can be the focal point, gone again. But there's yeah. a Wobie and McNeil, you know, maybe there's something there. And I'm probably clutching at straws because I, I like I do like a <laughs> Wobie. I think he's a good player. He has. But I'm trying to I'm trying to put goals into the team, but yeah. um, I like McNeil as well, I have to say. Yeah. But he's very good at dropping the shoulder, putting balls into the box. I know he, he scored them goals against Brighton, it was a brilliant performance, but you're you're surprised when McNeil scores a goal. Yeah. The core chipped in a bit last season, but the one thing I think goals. with Dyche and Keith obviously you'll know far better than me but just from my kind of observations of him and I've huge respect love Sean Dyche for the job he did for so many years and I love the way he carries himself and I've always said that I don't think he'll panic no. right. he's been here before Burnley every year they might win lose their first two or three could lose their first six seven eight be, be bottom of Christmas he won't panic at all so in terms of that side of thing if you are clutching at straws and positivity around maybe what can we like as I say if the right man in that obviously Everton won't want to be anywhere near the bottom and they'll feel as though the fans will feel he should be a bit higher up but I think because of the situation he's inherited as well in terms of the off the field issues you talk about the lack of investment um, in the off season nobody coming in only those one or two like it's a tough gig as well at the moment he'll, he'll sit them down Monday morning and he said listen lads we, we've lost the Fulham we've lost the Villa and now we've lost the Wolves the only one there that stands out is Wolves Wolves is going to be in around them this season he would have think for, for a relegation dogfight and I think it's Sheffield United next to them 
they need to get points against Sheffield United. They have to get points. But it's a know. bad sign if you're looking after four games to get yeah. Sheffield United a six pointer. Yeah. You have to be like Allardyce used to love doing it. He'd come in and he'd put the, the fixtures for the month up and say, We need to come out of this month with six, nine points. And we'd, we'd start getting it in our heads. That's how many points we have to go. And if you lose one, you think, Right, well, we're going to have to pick it up against Manchester United right. or somebody else. So I'm sure Deutsch had a goal in his head after the first four games and maybe six points. That's out the window now, but must be Sheffield United. I know it's the fourth game, but you have to beat lads in and around you. Otherwise, you're going to have to start picking off the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham at home and that's very, very difficult for Everton team with no goals. And apart from um, the opening day defeat, uh, probably the team of the season so far after three games has been Aston Villa. They look they look so good. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and, and we said this, to be fair, in the yeah, previews. They were we, my little uh, dark horse Yeah, tip. you yeah, said, yeah, Eric, yeah, to be yeah, fair. Yeah. And we, we always, like, I suppose, you pick up where they left off last year. I think their form towards the end of the season was championship winning form. Emery came in, he was a phenomenal. And we all, like, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Emery's a top-level manager. Proved it in Spain. Was hard done by at Arsenal. Disrespected, I felt, in terms of the end. They were, they were slagging him off over the way he was speaking well, and everything. He did well with a bang average Arsenal team. Yeah, so, yeah pretty much, yeah. So he was totally disrespected. So I'm delighted to see that he's come back. And they're electric to watch. They really are. Like so, this lad Diaby's come in. He's been he's been brilliant. Because I thought when they lost Buendia, that might be a big blow to them. But not a mention of him. Diaby's come in, hit the ground running again. So much energy. Uh, that got Telemans on the bench. Yeah, because well, that lad Kamara's a brilliant player. Yeah. Played Matty Cash further forward. Obviously got the two goals. So they're really good to watch Villa, and it should be no surprise to anyone. Emery's a brilliant manager. He really is. And your your thoughts on Villa as well, Keith? Yeah, I think they're going to be to be dark horses for the top six. I think top fours a little bit unrealistic top six I think Pau Torres is a brilliant signing really yeah yeah I think he was linked reason, for a long time the only reason Aston Villa get him is because Emery's there yeah. right. believe me and I know Aston Villa people be, they're a huge club they are a huge club but Pau Torres does not go to Aston Villa unless Emery's there and it's it's he was with him at Villarreal wasn't he that's it it's, yeah. it's, it's just the, the allure of the manager and he is like like Alan said I thought he was decent at Arsenal in a, in a bang average Arsenal team he'd done okay with us and I wanted him to do well and thankfully he has and yeah, they'll probably end up winning the European trophy now. Yeah, he would have to. Do. And another one, another one, similar colours and similar type manager, Moyes, West Ham, unbelievable. Well, yeah. You must have heard my earpiece there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking with, with the fact that obviously won the European, like another one, the reason I brought, I kind of brought him up was disrespected totally by people as well. How anyone can disrespect David Moyes for what he's done in football over a number of years, like the longevity of it and he's still doing it with West Ham absolutely phenomenal and great to see as well because I know after them winning the European thing and there was a bit of discontent over a new director of football and they yeah. weren't seeing eye to eye but he's had a brilliant start to the season again and brilliant manager. He's got a phenomenal job he's done there isn't it Keith? Yeah. It's just... And again, he's uh, he's probably one of the nice guys in football. There's very few, but the likes of Sean Dyche, David Moyes, you get to know them in football. You you speak to people around them, people impress them that know him, and they absolutely love him. He's a really nice guy, and when when he does well, the West Ham fan, uh, Des Cattle was saying to me in RTE that oh well, that's what he does. He's a season on, season off, season on. So this season he's going to be on, and yet. Uh, West Ham fans are saying it was a poor season last season, but that's the first trophy in God knows how many yeah. years. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So it's difficult to say that's a poor season, but I know they ended up in a flirt with relegation, but I think they could be dark horses for the top six as well. It's a phenomenal start they've made all the same. Brilliant, Jane, yeah. Jane Ward Prowse gone in there and just a, gr- a really signed. shrewd signing, great signing. Hit the ground running. Yeah, and, and that's like, I know there's a lot of focus now on bringing in the lads, foreign lads and from the outside, but when you have a lad who knows the league inside out as well, there's a lot to be said for that. And Ward Prowse, an established Premier League player, yeah. doing his stuff in a, in a poor Southampton team for years. Now he's in around better players at West Ham as well. Hit the ground running, as you say, Eric. Um, the set pieces are incredible. Yeah. That, that's a big yeah. thing for West Ham. They set have some pieces. big joints at the back that like to come up in 
into the box and even Antonio's a big lump if you put quality he balls into him, him yeah, he's yeah. just going to pin you so I, I think that's a match made in heaven more prowess in there um, right so we, we, we've that's the Premier League roundup done lads sorry, sorry oh no Eric, what, Eric, go, on, go, on, go on go on trouble there'll be trouble squeeze it in Spurs Big Ange <laughs> Big Ange Big Ange ball Robbie Williams is writing songs and everything I about him I was very impressed with him against Bournemouth at, at the weekend yeah. I thought they were excellent and brilliant Madison like, Madison yeah he ran the show I called it <laughs> yeah, he ran the show. He was, uh, and I love, I love, like he does seem like a genuinely la- good lad. Like his interviews Brilliant. are not from the heart or not. Did you, did you see, see the, the little wind up with the fans with the ball on the quadrant? Brilliant. <laughs> and did you see the picture he posted on Saturday after the match? Oh. So they won the match, obviously, and he played great, scored the goal. And this is why I love him because he looks like he plays, uh, he's a breath of fresh air, Madison. And he went down to take a corner. Right, and obviously someone sent him this picture. But is he? Someone's taking a picture of him taking the corner. So obviously you have maybe 150 in the background fans, and there's this outfella up in the crowd, and he's like this down to him, right? <laughs> so Madison obviously see, spotted the outfella, so he posted a picture of him in the corner, and then the second picture he zoomed in on. He says, "Happy Saturday to everyone, and especially to you in the crowd, old man." <laughs> <laughs> Love it, love it. Yeah, he do, he just seemed to be a breath but, of fresh but air. But Postacoglu again, just quickly. I know yeah. you want to move on. Or brilliant manager again, disrespected in terms of what he did in Scotland, what he did in Asia, and people now, oh, he can't do it in England. Look at the way they're playing already. Three weeks in, they've completely flipped from what they were doing last year. Now I'm not lucky. He's looking oh, at me with the Arsenal head on. <laughs> I'm not suggesting by any means. But what keeps talking? It's a good Vin- start. Top six. Yeah. I don't think top four, but I think top six potentially win a cup, playing better. Not a mention of Harry Kane, like that's hard as well. You you think of the amount of managers who would have lost Harry Kane, and every week going in, well, we've lost fifty goals and making excuses, hasn't even mentioned it once. He's become a darling of the English media already because his press conferences have been very entertaining, and his you know mm. like Gary Neville mentioned about comes across great. Like uh, he says, uh, what's the story with Porro and the inverted fullback? He says, I'm just copying Pep, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just copying Pep, mate. Uh, so he just seemed to come. He has a sense of humour, so I like that about him as a character. And the lads, so we could spend another hour talking about the Premier League, but I want to move on to our beloved best league in the world, the League of Ireland. Uh, massive weekend ahead in the League of Ireland. The top six all play against each other. Not in the one match. It's not a Royal Rumble. <laughs> be um, but it's, it's uh, obviously the big Dublin derby. Rovers and Bowes at Talla. Shells are home to Pats. And Dundalk are home to Derry. Three meltwatering toys. And, you know, toys that will have a big say on, uh, on, on the top four and, and who eventually wins the league. Yeah, cracking weekend. And we're, as you say, Eric, we're getting down to the business end now. I always felt that... Derry would be the one's best place to challenge Shamrock Rovers to be fair to St. Pat's I think they're way ahead of schedule obviously they lost him and John Daly's been brilliant since he's come in but to have them up challenging and go on and win a league I think is a little bit unrealistic not saying it can't happen but I just think they're way ahead of schedule so it bodes well for the future a lot of young lads as well as Keith will know and Joe uh, Redmond has come in a fit massive Joe Redmond won the best centre halves in yeah. the league I felt if he hadn't to get injured last year he was going across the water I'd say yeah. someone would have taken him and I'd say still think someone might but in terms of Pat's getting him back is massive was that but the freest header you've ever seen see his goal against UCD but the young fellas as well in the team have been absolutely yeah, brilliant yeah. young Murphy and Lennon and obviously uh, so the, the, two, the boys up front so I think Pat's can maybe sustain it but I can't see them winning it I think Derry were expected to challenge so they're still in the mix for that I know it's been a bad week for them Europe and the cup going out but I still think they're best place to challenge Rovers and Bose, sorry Eric, I always had them down as maybe getting into the top three this year. And that's success. Be true, Th- that is yeah, success. We yeah. said that was Declan's first season. I never had them down as challengers. There was a lot of turnover of players in the off-season. So to have them in the mix right now is where they want to be. Uh, so I still think it'll be Derry that'll push Rovers right to the end. 
Um, Keith, you're obviously um, you work with Pats in the in the academy. Um, is there? I don't, I'm not sure if you're privy to the first team conversations and all that. But is there a sense that in Chicago that they they have a chance at a title this season? Yeah, I, I think uh, when you listen to the manager, you listen to the players. They're not shying away from it because they're second in the league. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, the, they're the, the next ones. Personally, I do think Rovers will win it. I yep. think they, they're not looking at anything else. Obviously, come out of Europe, they're out of the FAI Cup. They've nothing to play for. They've only the league in front of them. They haven't been great, but I don't like. I, I, I can see Bowes beating them. I don't think we, if, we, if Bowes beat them on Friday night, we'd walk away and all be shocked because Rovers in the league haven't been great. Mm-hmm. And that's filtered into Europe. So Rovers can drop points. So then you're looking, can Pats put a couple of wins together? That's it's the thing. Very, the very difficult. Yeah, yeah. I that think everybody's going to take points on the run. run. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. been the story of the season because they have slipped up on numerous occasions. But you're still looking at the teams behind them have never really capitalised. Yeah. You know they've they've gotten within arm's length, but they've never got overtaken them. And yeah. you know, and that's that's the worry in terms of is it eight games left that you're thinking? As Keith says, they could lose Friday. Will the other teams take advantage? Hopefully for us as neutrals and we want to see the race yeah. go on as long as possible. But I still think out of the two, out of the four teams, um, it's like, it's something similar, I think, to the Premier League. Like I still, City are the Rovers kind still of thing. Goal, yeah. Arsenal, I think, are dirty. And then you have the other two or three kind of hoping to get there like that are in behind. Rory Haaland. Sorry, sorry, I was just, <laughs> <laughs> just taking the seat in Rovers there. Um, you I, say Redmond's coming back. I think Rogowski is not fired away as well, which yeah. is the other centre half. Who that's like for most of the season, Pats have had their second choice centre halves in, and that's not to be disrespectful. They pushed Jump San Cortes in from right back into centre half, and he's only just turned seventeen. He's, he's standing. He's he? been physical with players, yeah. and you're looking, thinking that's absolutely brilliant to see mm. players doing that. Mason Millier as well coming in, young boy Reese Bartley on the bench as well. So, isn't isn't that the worry, Keith? And obviously you're a, a close hand with it. It's brilliant. In one sense, that you've all these, these particularly a Pats, you've these young lads breaking through, and Curtis, like, is an established player at this yeah. stage, brilliant player. Young Murphy's come in, and Mealy up front, and uh, Carty as well, is it up top? Connor yeah, they've done really well. And you're thinking, like, if you're a Pats fan, you're sitting at home now thinking, well, like, this bodes really well for the future. The worry is these three or four, Snapped up. Yeah. they'll be gone. Yeah, you yeah, know, they will yeah. be gone, especially Curtis and, and is it Murphy? They'll be gone. Curtis Murphy, Mason. I'm- I'm, uh, I'm obviously it's been well documented that I like bows and uh, I'm going to Electric Picnic this weekend and performing at the Comedy Tent. Anyone down there be there on, on this comedy stage on Saturday afternoon? Uh, tune in, come down, Any say tickets? hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex, he has my other ticket. So, uh, <laughs> but I'm not going to go down on Saturday morning because I want to go to Tala on Friday night. Uh, just to, I'll be just, there myself. I'm looking to, forward to it. Yeah, you're working on the game, Keith, I'll be aren't there, you? Yeah, I'll be yeah. there, Virgin. I'm covering it. Lovely. Should be a packed. Well, I mean, inevitably it'll be a seller. And that's the beauty of those as well. It's great that bows are in the mix because those fixtures are electric. Yeah, they are. Like but, I love that that the fixture. It's brilliant. Like if, if Sunday comes and Rovers have been beat by Bows and Pats have been beat by Shelbourne. It's not a huge shock because Shelbourne could easily be Pats and yeah. Rovers could and easily Shelburne be And Shelbourne now are in the mix themselves for Europe. Obviously, that was a massive win yeah. on Saturday night beating Sligo Rovers as well away from home. So all of a sudden, they're kind of on the coattails because people were having, I well, think... Well, they've, they've gone above Dundalk. And I was just about to say, Dundalk were in that photo shoot last yeah. week yeah. with the lads. And I don't know if it was that because the games were on, but... Maybe Shell should have been in as well yeah. if they're talking about yeah. like challengers yeah. for kind of you know it's uh, and that's I mean like it's it, great for us Eric and for the league it's what we want to see as yeah. many teams like we said at the start I know Shamrock Rovers have been poor enough by their standards but we said that if we can have three or four teams in the mix I didn't think we would but here we are eight, eight games out with them all in with a chance it's great what would you attribute um, Liverpool Shamrock Rovers' uh, lack of top form this season too. Yeah, it's a funny one. Um, sometimes, obviously, when you're as, as successful as they've been, and obviously they're going for four, 
just that bit of I'm not not suggesting they've lost the hunger percentage. yeah and that's all it takes right. Eric at times you know obviously there's been issues with Jack he went through a purple patch five or six weeks he looked electric again back to his belt he's injured again um, it's just a funny one like I've looked at them so much and, and you're kind of thinking well they're going to click into gear at some point they're going to click into gear because I, I have to be honest like across the league I don't think it's been a great league this year. Okay. I know the teams are in the yeah. mix and it's great and that's what we want. But if you're kind of to analyse it properly in terms of the teams and the standard, I don't think it's been anywhere near um, some of the other seasons in terms of... Uh, I look at the league now when we're mentioning the young fellas and it's, it's very much a development league, I think, in terms of young fellas as a breeding ground getting getting games and it's brilliant for them and real opportunities. But you, you There's a lack of old pros. Is I'm just saying? Yeah, there is a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. there is. And, yeah. and it takes away from it a little bit, I find. Um, so I don't think the standard has been brilliant this year and that's reflective maybe in the European stuff as well. Yeah. You see teams from less, similar sized countries doing better than us and lesser countries doing better. I know Derry had a little bit of a run. Shamrock Rovers went out with a bit of a whimper this year. Um, so I think the league... While in one sense it's great that we have a race and we all love it and we want to see that, but I think if you're to maybe take the blinkers off and just say where are we at as a league, I just think the standards is is gone down a little. Hmm. Would you Would you agree with that, Keaton? Anyway, or what? I think I think Rovers have maybe maybe stood still a little bit this year. and other teams have got a little bit closer. Just close the gap. I remember last season coming towards the end and people were trying to convince everybody oh, this is a race dirty are in it and they weren't really no. in it. You know they yeah. were always at arm's length and Rovers weren't playing well in games but they were just getting over the line. They were getting scruffy goals and they were just winning, doing what champions do. This season, they're not playing well and they're not yeah. winning. Well, they haven't been winning as yeah. much as, as they but should they're do. they're still ahead. They're, that's the problem. They're still way, and way that's ahead. that's my point, Eric. Like, as, as bad and as Rovers the, do have them old pros. That's the thing. Yeah, well, yeah. It's quite an old yeah. squad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe that's, that's the point. difference, as that you is, say. That's a very good point. Yeah, you've got Ronan Finn, you've got Lopez, you and know. they've been there, done it. Lads have been around the block. Gaffney up the top. Yeah. You know, older lads, Lopez at the back, the keeper. Um, so yeah, and Manus is like fifty two. And as Keith said, like, <laughs> and as Keith said, like obviously they have stood still, and the others have got a bit better. But have they only got closer because they've stood still? If Shamrock Rovers were still at the level maybe two years ago, the league would be over by now. A hundred percent. Right. I I don't know. I'm I'm going into. I, I know I, I shouldn't do this, but every time Bowls and Rovers, it's it's the fixture I fear the most. The most. You get nervous. nervous. Really? Oh, I get so wound up and anxiety ridden. And I'm going to be like that in Talat on Friday night. Oh, please, please. But I've also been in Talat <laughs> when Bows have won it and it's like been the greatest moment of my life. So, I mean, I'm going in on Friday cautious optimism because Bows have been are unbeaten in, what, seven or eight games now. Now, I know a couple of them games were against Rockbound and whatever, but um, what they've shown this season, there's a resilience about them this season, I think. And they don't lie down easily. And I think even if they do suffer a setback, they have the ability to come back and, you know, round the truce book of being back there is massive this season. Um, and also, we've got real, real pace in the team. And I think Rovers can be guard at, especially in the transition. I think that's where they've been struggling a little bit in the transition. When teams run at them at pace, I saw Dundalk against them on Friday night. Dundalk could have scored two or three goals. Yeah, John Martin missed an absolute sitter at the back Conley, uh, you're talking about pace, Afalabi there, Danny Grant. Yeah. And especially that big, huge pitch in Tala. Obviously, they play Perfect with the three, three at the back. So there's gaping holes there down the, down the flanks for them to obviously exploit. So that's what Declan will be feeding into. And you're right about the unity and the spiriting. Declan loves all that stuff. Yeah. And he's obviously <laughs> fed into it with the Bose fans mm-hmm. as well there's uh, a good relationship there amongst them obviously and it would, as Keith said earlier we wouldn't be surprised if Bose go up to Tal and win a Friday night it wouldn't surprise me mm. 
I tell you what, I don't know if we'd make it down to the picnic on Saturday morning. We want to fly. Can you? Can I give you? A bit <laughs> I think you have every chance for Friday really night. Do. Take the James Madison approach and just breathe into that. Just breathe in <laughs> and just say, "Life is good." Here we go. <laughs> light up a cigar, smoke. He just up. breezes around the pitch. What a player, Madison! Yeah. I love him. No, he is. He's infectious, isn't he? I he really love is. Him. Yeah, yeah, great, great player. All right, lads. Um, there we go. Another sign of a good podcast. The time has run out. I've been told in my ear, Eric, wrap it up. You're boring us to tears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that uh, that brings us to the end of episode. 23 of House of Football with Sports Joe and William Hill. Massive thank you to Keith Tracy and Alan Cawley for joining us today. You know the story. Uh, like, share, subscribe, tell your mates and we'll be back next week. Talk to you then. You've been listening to House of Football brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill.